You can collect those after class. Thanks. All right. Well, we're sort of moving into the home stretch here. That seems loud even if I try to talk soft. Anyway, uh, so I want to be real clear. My agenda for this week is to fill in as many gaps as possible and lacking students asking me gaps, and I have stuff that I'll talk about. But I don't have to talk about anything that I've got prepared. I do have some more examples. We'll look a little bit more at the shooting star and that little trail of circles that fades out example. Today, if we don't do something else, I'm happy to talk about Program 7. There are some questions showing up on Piazza that would be appropriate. On Wednesday, uh, I'd like to do show uh, you an example of uh, some kind of fun stuff that once you know about arrays, it will also let you see how you can actually manipulate images. Now that you know about arrays, when you load an image into processing, you can very trivially have it give you a one-dimensional array of all the pixel values, and then you can go in and manipulate those pixel values. And I was going to use that to maybe introduce the, the concept of the idea of steganography, which is basically hiding things in plain sight. In this case, it's hiding an image inside of an image. Um, and then Friday is really sort of a review in some sense. And I hear somebody's got a question already. You got a question you want to share with us? Yeah? No, it's okay. Questions are good, but right now it's my turn. I'll give you a couple of chances today to click your clickers through so you can make sure you got them out warmed up. Or maybe not warmed up if your batteries are running low. Anybody want to start with a question before I sort of dive back into this example we started before? Yeah. Uh, this is about program seven. I checked the partner for program seven. Yeah. So has anybody checked whether they do have a partner? Raise your hand. Okay. I'm pretty sure I did it. So there could be as many as five of you that don't have a partner. That's because if there's an odd number of people needing partners, somebody ends up without one. Um, what I would tell you to do is uh, I can't help you too much to get started early, but if you haven't, when you show up in lab, if there's still somebody else there without a partner, if the two of you want to team up because their partner didn't show or something, that would be perfectly fine with me. I think I did the partner in seat assignment uh, several days ago. Um, and I had one person claim they have a partner for seven, so that makes me suspect it's, it did actually go through. Nobody has another question? I want to figure out how this array thing works. All right, well, let's see. So where was I going with this? So here's this is the example we had up last time. And it's, uh, there's a variation of this that's as one of the standard processing examples is there's also a variation of this in the textbook. I think he calls it the snake example. And the idea is that there's an array of x and y values. And we're going to fill them with mouse coordinates. So each frame, if the mouse is pressed, and we haven't filled it up yet, so count is keeping track of how many of the cells of the array we've filled up. If it's not filled up, each frame one more place in the array, using the sort of analogy I was messing with last time, one more chair in the row gets filled, and I'll put some values in that particular position in the row. We increment the count, so on the next frame, when we come back, we'll put it in the next place, and we're going to fill them up. And then in addition, every frame, it always draws a whole bunch of little circles. The size of the circle depends upon where it is in the array. It's sort of a waste here, in fact. The first circle that draws when i is equal to 0 has a, radi a width and a height of 0. So in fact, it probably doesn't draw anything, although maybe it shows up as a dot. I haven't bothered to try to look and see what actually happens there. The idea is as you move further in the array, that is the circles that were the positions that were added later, those that, that show up later end up being drawn bigger. right? So as i gets bigger, those are the ones that, were, that showed up last. They get drawn with larger width and height, and it just draws that bunch of ellipses. And once it's filled up, that was the end. Now, I think last time, we actually even messed around with it, right? And I think I had a clicker. I think this is just the rest of the code that gets the thing set up, sets the size. Yeah, there's nothing interesting there. 
Um, we messed around with an example where uh, I had a key pressed method, and the body of the key pressed method did nothing but set the count back to zero. And sort of the question is, you know, how are the how do they get redrawn when I do that? So if I reset the count to zero, then on the very next frame the xy coordinates at zero will get the new mouse x and we could cause them to be changed. Any questions about that example? We've already done that one. I'm gonna, we're going to play with it a little bit, so we're going to take it to the snake one, which is instead of having this sort of fill it up once and stop, it really is continually filling it up. And there are several different ways that you could continually fill it up. And I'll show you one of those, which is different than the way the current uh, processing sample does it. Yeah, Michael. So MX and MY are arrays of integers. So you said MX count. So I would, it's really, it's the, the value stored in the MX array at position count, right? And that stores some mouse value. Now I'm going to do a very small example of that. So since you, nobody has any questions, I'm going to anticipate that Michael's not the only one that's still a little bit confused, but nobody wants to ask me a question. So let's make it really small to make it manageable. All right. So instead of MX, instead of num being, I don't know, it was 60 or 20 before, let's assume that num is 4, right? So the, the lengths of the arrays are 4. All right, there's four elements. Move this here, just getting ready, sorry. So, and I'm going to let that little grid represent, I'm going to write down the values that show up in the array. So, when the program starts, right up here, when we create those two arrays, what are the initial values that show up in here? Somebody said it. What? Yeah, they're zero. So arrays of integer types get a value of zero, right? And this is the one at index zero, the one at index one, the index two, and the one at index three, right? So I've got these, maybe I shouldn't have drawn them side by side, but I wanted to put them side by side because it just helps me think about them. You know, they'll probably all run out in memory someplace. But anyway, I've got eight memory locations, and <clears throat> they're all filled with zeros. And the program starts up, and it comes in here. And in the first frame, oh, sorry. So um, I, I remember, forgot where I was going with this. This is actually the, the one that goes changes continuously. So we're going to look at that one. I can go back, and we can do this for the other one if somebody wants me to. But now I've got the code here. Let's go with the code that I have here. So this is a version that instead of just filling it once and sticking, remember it just filled and it stayed there? This one, it just continually keeps changing. So let's watch and see what happens. This part's the same. Anybody notice any changes to this part? Nobody noticed any changes to this part? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this was i divided by 2, and I changed it so that my example is not completely ridiculous if I try to run it. Um, with these really small values, I wanted bigger circles. So instead of the width and the, di and the diameter being i divided by 2, because I was going up to 60, and I wanted the biggest one to be 30, I'm only going up to 3, and I want the first one to do something. So when i is 0, it's a 5 by 5. When i is 1, 1 plus 1 is 2, 2 times 5 is 10, it's 10. So it goes 5 by 5. 10 by 10, 15 by 15, 20 by 20. So I get these four circles that are a little bit bigger is what's going to happen. Okay? So that's what this does. Just what it did before. It draws four circles, and the circles are drawn so that the first one is the smallest one, the last one is the biggest one. The first one's 5 by 5, the last one is whatever I just said, 20 by 20. Okay. So, well, these are pretty easy. So I come in here, the very first frame, it comes in here and it's running through here. And this, I don't, well, it doesn't turn out, it doesn't matter what it does because they're all zeros and nothing interesting happens here. We'll look at that in just a second. It gets to here and the very first frame, 
let's suppose I'm somehow clever and I've managed to run it and have the mouse magically show up in the uh, at 15:17. Okay, I got the mouse to be at 15:17 on the very first frame. So what does it do? It puts 15 into which box? The third, the last one. <laughs> The third one, counting like a computer scientist, right? So what I say, 15, and it doesn't matter, they're just arbitrary numbers. So I put 15 and 17. This puts 15 in that first, you know, the, the MX last one. This puts 17 in the MY last one, okay? All right, and now it draws the four circles, three of them at 0, 0, and one of them at 15, 17. Raise your hand if you're with me physical feedback here. Who, who's not with me? I'm not going to go on until everybody has raised their hand at least once. So who's with me? That's more. All right, that's enough. Okay. All right. Jumping jack wakes you up. We haven't had, you're only supposed to do that after 15 minutes. It hasn't been 15 minutes. That's close. All right. So first frame is over. It's drawn one circle. The big one, the 20 by 21, is, is out there at 15, 17, and the rest of them are all stuck up in the corner on top of each other. And now, the second frame starts. And let's suppose I'm fairly quick, and I've moved the mouse, so the mouse is now at, uh, at 20, uh, whatever, 18. Right? I'm putting a note there just because I know what I said. So I've moved mouse X to 2018 because it's moving a little bit, and it comes through here. What does this code do? Can somebody tell us in a nutshell what it does? Yeah. Sort of. It's, uh, it's actually a computer science word we can use here, although I think it may make contact in, in other context. Values start in one block. Uh, let's say the third position of the index the second. Yeah. yeah. In this picture, it shifts everything up one. I think that's. I think you knew the answer, although the words didn't quite ring true for me. So it's going to make everything shift up. So I'm going to take the thing at position three and move it to three minus one, which is two. I'm going to take the thing at position 2 and move it to 2 minus 1 is 1, although I actually do it in the other order, right? So I'm going to move them, take the thing at position 1. Notice it starts at 1, not at 0, right? Because I'm going to take the thing at position 1 and move it to position 0. So everything moves up. So the 15 goes up to here. The 17 goes up to here. The rest of them just ended up being zeros. And what does this do? to the one at <clears throat> three. What does this do to the one at three? Oh God, I need a clicker question. Talk it over. What is that? I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to make this into a clicker question. So talk to your neighbor. Let's figure out what's going on here. What does this do to the one in our case when we've got four elements num is four what does this do to the one in position three four you can see that from the picture right I'm going to make a clicker. Here we go. I'm going to start up the clicker. So I'm asking when this for loop finishes on our frame two. What's stored in the last row of that little table there, right? So position three for MX and MY. Is it 00? Is it 15, 17? Or is it 2018? That's the question, which I believe, excuse me? Um, the, we've only gotten this far in frame two. And in frame two, mouse X and mouse Y are 20 and 18. You saw what it was in there before I got there. This is frame two. 
right? The one we were just talking about. That one that I asked, what, what does it do? And so I, now I've given you three choices for what it might do. And the right answer is one of those three. You bet. Twenty eighteen is what's in the current mouse X and mouse Y. Well, but I'm not sure I understood your question. Right, I'm telling you, mouse X is twenty, mouse Y is eighteen. Before frame one, it was zero zero, but in frame two, we came in and it was zero 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 zero. 0, 0, 15, 17. That's what it was at the beginning of frame two. Right? Because that's what happened at the end of frame one, which is the same as the beginning of frame two. The only thing that's changed is mouse X and mouse Y, and we're seeing what that code... And we saw that this code is going to shift things up, and indeed it's going to take 15 and 17 and copy them up to row two. The question is, what happened to row three? Yeah. I don't understand that question. No, you can try to ask me that again when we come back here. So everybody decided that, everybody happy with their vote? Getting quiet? I'm going to stop it here. That's been three minutes. That's a long time, even after we'd started on it beforehand. So um, this is interesting. Well, we clearly need some work on this. Um, well, it's it's good. That's uh, lets me know where folks are at. So, you want to try to ask your question now that I can hear and everybody's listening. Listen up. Well, I mean, it just does what it does on the screen here. So, I think the answer. Uh, I'm, I'm struggling to answer because I don't know what. So this, what this did was it says, find what's so when I was equal to 3, it said take what's in MX3, which was 15, and store it into MX of 3 minus 1, which was 2, which caused that 15 to show up there. And then it said take MY of 3, which is 17, and assign it to m of i minus 1, which is 2, store 17 up into there. So at that moment, it's what it is. It's just what it is. So um, at that moment, clearly, it's 15, 17, 15, 17 in the last row. So they didn't shift. The computer doesn't think of it shifting. The computer just says, oh, you took that value and you stored it in there. Right? So... What's the next thing that happens? I is equal to 3 when I moved it here. What's the next thing that happens? Yeah. Mm, go slower, please. It increments I. I becomes 4. Is 4 less than or equal to 4? No. The for loop is over. And did I make any changes to MX3? No, right? I didn't do anything, right? So I, I don't know, is, your, is it answered in your mind, although I'm still struggling with the question? Yeah, well, the shift was just conceptually what's happening, and it's doing it a little bit at a time. It moves, you know, it moves one up to zero, it moves two up to one, it moves three up to two, and then it stops because I've gotten to three, and that's as far as I'm going to go. All right, so in fact, it doesn't change it at all. You know, it hasn't changed it because... 
Indeed, this loop makes no assignment to the last element. This loop goes around three times. It only assigns it to three different places in the array. Because it started at one and it stopped at our usual strictly less than the number of elements in the array. Yeah? Because I told you it was four. I, I, I mean, it got, you know, it's four somewhere else on the code we don't see here. I, I, it's because I told you it was four. Or, you know, I, I was in my actual program, right? I actually set it to four. Uh, and, and the picture implies it's four, right? It's four because I said int num equals four. It was, and I changed it to four because I didn't feel like doing that for 60 boxes, <laughs> right? Yeah? Yeah, so that, that was a little one that slipped by you and was clearly important here. So I'm doing it just for this small example. I've changed it to four. That was also why I changed these numbers because it only goes up to four, and then all my circles would be so tiny we wouldn't even know where they were. That would be not very interesting. So does everybody see that now, right? So it doesn't change it. Michael? I received a value for MXI. You know, um, I have two ways that work for me. Okay? One way is step by step, what does it do? And we can go through it and step by step. And I did. I went through the first frame and we saw what it did. It moved a bunch of things around and I told you it didn't really matter in the first frame. And then in the first frame, we stored 15 and 17 in the last row. You with me there? Because because num minus one is the last row of my little table, right? So that put fifteen and seventeen in the last row in the table. That was the end of frame one. Okay, and then frame two comes in and it does this. And what does it do? Well, the first time I go through the loop, it moves row one to row zero, and then I goes to two and it moves moves row two to row one, and then I goes to three and it moves row three to z to row two. And then the loop is over. I take the value stored at position. Who, who else is a little confused still here? Is it just Michael? If it's just Michael, I'm not going to do this. Raise your hand if you'd like me to do whatever it is I'm going to do next. A few people. Okay. Um, uh, here, there's... there's uh, uh, how, do I, how do I do this? Um... I can't figure out how to do it. This, uh, do you understand that an array is like a row? And this row has how many seats in it? And there's two of them, right? There's this four rows and there's that four rows, okay? And when I came into the first frame, I went and wrote a number on this chair. That's 0, 1, 2, 3. I wrote a number. I wrote 15 here on the chair. And then I wrote 17 on that chair, okay? Right? That's what happened in frame one. Frame two comes in, and frame one says, look and see what you wrote on chair one and write it on chair zero. What's on chair one? Oh, it's just got a zero. I put a zero on a zero. Nothing happened. It wasn't very interesting until I got to I equal three. When I was equal to three, I looked at this chair, and what did I see? Fifteen. Okay? And what did I say? I, I looked at, at that chair, and I saw a 15. And what did I do with that 15? I wrote it on chair 2. So this chair now has 15 on it, and that chair has 15 on it. And that chair has 17, and that chair has... And those two have zeros. Okay? And our whole question that we just had was, well, did I do anything to chair 3? No, I didn't erase it. Right? I didn't erase it. It's still 15. Now, what happens when I get to these two lines? These two lines are going to say, oh, there's chair three again. Chair three is special. Chair three now, this chair three gets 20. So I'm going to take this 20, which is mouse X, and I'm going to put it in there. So this is now 20, and this is now 18. Okay? B, 
because that's what the value of mouse X is now. It's a different frame. The mouse is moving around. You know, it's a thirtieth of a second later and I'm fast. I moved it a little bit. Okay? So I put those values. So now when I draw those circles, I get two of them at zero and I get one at 15, 17, and I get one at 20, 18. Right? And now it starts to become repetitive. Okay? So that frame is over. And we come back again, and in the next frame, I'm, I'm being even faster. Man, boy, am I really whipping it out there now, right? So it's just zipping across the screen because I'm really fast. Um, and now mouse X is 50 and mouse Y is 99, and the same process repeats. So now what happens? It starts and it moves the 0 and 1 up to there. Nothing happens. It takes the 15, puts the 15 here, puts the 17 here. It takes the 20 and... Getting a little too messy, we can't read that. It takes the 20 and copies it up to here. Notice why it's important that I do in that order, right? If I tried to do it in the other order, it would be all messed up because I would be writing the values over and I'd lose them. So it's, the order actually matters here. It, it, it's important that I do it in this order, that I'm adding it at the end and shifting them um, starting at the beginning. And I come in here, and after the loop is over, I go down here, and remember, this is, this is 50, this is 99, so this last one becomes 50, and this becomes 99. Okay? So let's, let's just make sure. Let's sort of see this thing in action. I think I've even slowed down the frame rate here to make life a little more manageable for myself. I've moved the frame rate down to 10. And so, of course, at the moment, all four circles are just being drawn up in the corner because I haven't really got the mouse onto the display yet. But as soon as I move the mouse in here, you see it's sort of following me around. It's a little slow, and if I, but if I keep it moving, the biggest one is closest to the mouse, right? Because that's the one where the mouse was in the previous frame. And, of course, if I stop, what happens when I stop? 5099 gets moved up to 2. 52 and 3 are both now 5099. The next frame, 5099 moves up to one. Three rows are, are 5099. One more frame, and all of them are 5099. And I'm drawing all four circles in the same place. And that's why they, they seem to have disappeared, right? Okay? The other one is just the same thing, except I just make num be 60 and let the frame rate go back, and everything is as it was. Questions about that? Yeah. Ryan, right? Yeah. Um, Please share, anyway. Yeah, so of course I could have used what here instead? MX.link or MY.link would have been perfectly appropriate. Exactly. Other comments or questions about that example? Okay, just when you thought it was safe. Well, if you don't have any questions, I have one for you. All right, so assume the arrays have the content shown at the left at the end of frame 99 and that the mouse does not move between frame 99 and frame 100. Which of the following shows the contents of the arrays at the end of frame 100? If you didn't have any questions, I assume everybody can do this, and I'll move this so it's not blocking anything you need there. I need to figure out what the right answer is here. It'd be nice if it didn't take too long, but... Yeah, I got them rid of them both already, sorry. Mm, sorry, I've had lots of requests. I have to be consistent. Okay, I'm going to cut this off really soon. 
I'll, I'll uh, share with you that uh, the majority or the vast majority are on board here, so I don't want to take too much more time with this. So if you want to check in with a neighbor uh, to see what the right answer might be, you're welcome to do that. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's just, is this just, there's still num is four. It's the same example we were doing before, right? So 3040 was certainly the mouse X, mouse Y value in frame 99. That's about the, and, and in frame 98, they were 1520, and in frame 97, so I guess, is that what you meant? Yeah. So those are the mouse X, mouse Y values for frame 98, 99, 98, 97, and 96. That's true. Okay, so it's got quiet out there. I see a lot of votes running here. Does anybody else need to vote? Five, four, it's not moving. Oh, there's one more slipped in. Okay, let's stop. So the answer is? A, you bet, right? So all we did was in one frame, that middle loop took this value and copied, well, it actually it took, it took 12 and 14 and copied it up to here. Then it took 15 and 20 and copied it up to here. Then it took 30 and 40 and copied it up to here. And then it didn't do anything to that because we figured that out last time. And since mouse X and mouse Y hadn't moved, it rewrote these values as 30, 40. It actually changes, it, it, it does the assignment, but it assigns them just what the values that they already have. All right. So uh, that was an overwhelming majority, although not quite everyone on board there yet. So, questions about that? All right, I'm going to have to move on here for the overwhelming majority. So, just a couple of notes from slides that I had before that we didn't get around to. I think we've mentioned this, but I decided I'd, I'd let them flash by here and remind you. We've seen this notation now several times. You can do these array initializers. You can put a curly brace, a bunch of comma-separated values. And this doesn't work just for integer arrays. This works for any kind of an array. So I could actually create um, you know, an array of rockets. I could do rocket, you know, array of rockets, oops, put the square brackets there, and I could put a curly brace here, and you could say new rocket, and you know, and it wants two values here, comma, new rocket, and it wants a couple of values there, new rocket, and it wants a couple of values there, and there I could use that to, in fact, create an array that has three rockets in it. Right? So you can do that for anything. It doesn't have to be just integers. Yeah. Well, I don't know what the rest of the program looks like. Yeah, if you did that in my current code, it wouldn't know about a variable called rocket, which is what it expects, and it wouldn't compile. So you'd have to have a loop that goes and does the rocket update for all of them, and you could. And the key thing was specific to a specific rocket variable called R O lowercase R O C K E T, which seems to maybe not exist in this program. Um, so you'd have to have some code that says, you know, if rockets, if A R bracket zero something or other, you know, do we update on it? Right? You can manipulate any of these rockets, but no, there's no magic way to do them all at once or anything. Michael. Exactly. This makes an array with three elements, and each of the elements is a rocket. Excuse me? The rocket class is defined somewhere else. Yeah. This, so this is assuming the existence of a rocket class. I was sort of implying the one maybe for program seven, but it could be anything. Right? We could do it with a string. Right? I could say a string square bracket, array of strings is, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F. There's an array with two strings, each of length three. One of them has got A, B, C in it, the other one is D, E, F. Right. So there's certainly plenty of reasons we could do this. I just want to make it, make it clear this is not some special syntax only for integer arrays. It works for any kind of an array. You bet. You bet. Sorry. D-E-F-G-H. Does it like index like by the string? It's just, it's just, this, this array has two things in it. A, S, 
In that particular example, AS sub 0 is the uh, string ABC, and AS sub 1 is the string DEFGH. Okay. So, let's see. This was just another example dealing with arrays. You should be able to do this, but I don't think I want to ponder it right now. Uh, unless somebody has a question, you've seen it on a slide before that I didn't get to, so in some sense you've had a chance to look at it and wonder. So if somebody doesn't ask me about it, I'll leave it there for just a moment. I'm going to move on. Yeah, Michael. Double. Good question. So what's double? Nope. What's double? It's a special, it's another type of floating point value. It's a 64-bit floating point value. It's like int and string. It's like int, except it's for floating point values. So it's one of the primitive types in Java. Sorry, I haven't used it too much. So the primitive types included int. There's long, which is a 64-bit integer like int. Int is 32 bits. Float is 32 bits. Double is floating point, but 64 bits. So it gives us more accuracy and a larger exponent on that You know, scientific notation, 2.7 times 10 to the... 326, right? That, that exponent of 10 can be a bigger number using double. That's all. <clears throat> Other questions about that one? We haven't made a big deal out of it this quarter, but I'm not quite sure why I happened to throw it in the, this particular example. Right? This is something everybody needs to be comfortable with, right? We saw examples of, before of this where I've had you... Uh, you know, you, you know, you're accumulating a score, lots of accumulating things here. It just happens to be accumulating the value stored in an array, setting the sum equal to zero. Right? We could trivially turn this into a product by setting this equal to one and turning that into a multiplication, and now I'd have the product of all the values stored in the array. Right? Okay. Moving on then. Uh, print the elements of the array in reverse order. Let's, uh, let me do a really quick, um, I'm going to do an anonymous because I don't really want it to count for anything here. How do I do this? Start anonymous question. There we go. And it moves that, of course. I didn't ask it to do that. So this is an anonymous question. It's not going to count for grading, but I'm a little bit curious. How many people think if I give you five minutes, you could do this example? Yes, I can do it. Well, let's go all this. Let's give a spectrum here. You know, A is like, no problem, dude. Why even five minutes? Um, and E is what? <laughs> right? No way. And if you want to put a number somewhere in between, feel free to do so. So your confidence. A, I'm very confident I can knock this thing out if it showed up on an exam. Um, as, and I didn't even ask for it to be a function. So right, just a code fragment. It would print them out in reverse order. Using a loop, please, I don't really want, it's not okay to say print line 17, print line 16, print line 15. Okay. <laughs> you laugh. Interesting. This is just sort of be a quick, I really don't want to be too long here, so, uh, wow. All right, well, um, Let's, I'm going to at least do it then. So I'm going to stop this. So just in case you're wondering, right, this is what it looks like. So there's certainly the majority at least feel like they could be do it, but I've got 28 students that are really not sure they could do this. Um, so those students have a little bit of work to do, so let's do it really quick here. All I want is I would prefer a for loop. And there's sort of two ways you could do this. To my mind... I happen to like to think if I'm going to do them from in the reverse order, I'd start at the back end. So I'm going to say int i starts at the back end, which is data.length minus 1. And as long as i is greater than or equal to 0, decrement i. And each time around the loop, what do you do? Print line data sub i. Game over. All right. 
So again, think about this one. How many? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's seven elements in the array, so the length of the array is seven, right? But the index position of the first one I want to print out is what? Six, which is seven minus one. Data length minus one. That's what I want I to start at, right? If you really are hung up and you want your loops to run forward, it's okay. You can make this be zero i less than, you know, data dot length minus one i plus plus, and then what do I have to put into here? There I'm going to put data dot length minus i minus one, right? Because the first one's got to be, when i is zero, I don't want data.length, I need to minus one, right? I don't find that as pretty, but if you happen to like the indexes to run going forward, it's good to realize indices can run backwards just as well. Yeah? Okay, well, for those 28 people, if you still don't get it, um, come to office hour and we can talk about it. Common error here. Index out of bounds exception because this strictly less than or equal, I went up and I ran off the end of my array, right? I tried my array had seven elements and I tried to look in position seven when I'm really only supposed to look um, in, in <clears throat> position six. And of course, if I wanted to do something to every element in the array, I probably should have started it at zero, but we don't always start at zero, right? We saw that in the shifting example. It didn't start at zero, it started at one. And finally, this mistake, which I certainly made myself a few times when I was first learning Java, which is forgetting to actually create the array. <laughs> and in the case of arrays of objects, forgetting to create the objects that go in the array. And remembering that the array is filled with null, but here I didn't even create the array. So in fact, as soon as it gets right to there, it's going to say x.length, and it's going to say length of what? Right, X is actually null at that point. Um, and so you're going to get, if it's a instance variable, what you, we've been thinking in this class is a global variable, you're going to get a null pointer exception. If it happens to be a local variable, then the compiler will complain and tell you the X wasn't actually initialized. Because in, in, uh, local variables do not get a default value. They must be explicitly assigned an initial value. All right. So, in the interest of just trying to keep this, you're engaged in me not lecturing. I've been lecturing for nine weeks, and it's worked for some, but we haven't quite got everybody there yet. I thought I'd put this one up. Um, I alluded to this, I think, and someone had asked in Piazza about, do we need to memorize all of the array functions that processing provides for us. And I said no, but they would be good ones to know that you actually ought to be able to write any of them. Um, and here are five of them with sort of abbreviated descriptions of them. And of course, the processing ones work for any type of an array. I'm assuming we were just doing it for us. There's some tricks in Java that we haven't learned in here about how you make it work for different types of arrays, which is why you have to do the casting if you happen to have read about it. But in the case of just for an integer array, here are five choices. And that's the answer, uh, or at least um, you know, a good start at the answer to one of them. It probably doesn't handle all you know, error conditions or something necessarily the way it really ought to. Um, but there it is, and I'd like to know. Um, let me get this out of your way here. Right, so what, you can talk to your neighbor and see if we can figure this relatively easy one out here. Or I should say short, not necessarily easy. Can you look at that code and figure out what it does? You bet. Well, in the case of integers, they're all real values. These aren't objects. Data.length is going to tell me how many elements are in that array. No, no. It's the number of elements in the array. 
in the usual English sense. It's only our indexing that's not in the usual English sense. The first one is at zero. The second one is at one. That's where we're, that's where we're goofy. In terms of counting total number of things, we do count normal. Really, a lot of people not talking. This is your chance to talk, and we don't have the answers. John? Um, Well, um, there's clearly, I think, one that's best. Um, and I will, I'm happy to elaborate on the definitions of A, B, C, and D, and E, if you like. Um, so, uh, I don't see how it can be any but one. And we can talk about that after we know what the answer is. Um, certainly, they, they have certain things in common. So, three of them, huh? Hmm. Oh, <clears throat> I can see two. Um, it's, but it's a special case of one, and it's, and it's the only thing for the other. All right, how are we doing here? Can we get a few more votes? That's been, maybe that's long enough, and John doesn't like my choices here, doesn't think this was a well-formed question or something. All right, so uh, there's where the vote's going. So we do not have agreement yet. Um, so... Does anybody, uh, so John, so you thought it was three, three of them. What are the three you're voting for? So B, so indeed it does some amount of copying, but I would not say it copies the array because what? It doesn't in fact copy the, you know, if I, if I go to the photocopier and I put my picture on this thing and I ask it, or the, the Xerox machine, and I ask it to make a copy, and what I get is a piece of paper that's got about three-quarters of the thing copied, and the rest of it's blank. I would not consider that a good copy. Uh, copies an array, or part of an array to another array. Um, oh, I see, because I've extruded. Those are literally their words. So the problem here is that it's actually, this one is actually asking for, I'm going to provide you the array I want you to copy it into. So in this case, it is making it in, copying part of it into another array, um, but you actually get to specify the part that's going to get copied. So I, I, that's that's fuzzy. You're right. That's a close fit. I still I I still think it's arguably not the best fit. I think you probably know what the best fit is as well. What was your what was your vote? You want to tell us? Uh huh. Yeah. Right. So, so the copy one, it only copies all. It always copies everything but one, which would seem like an odd thing to have and call it array copy. Remember, those are the names the processing folks gave it. Could you imagine them naming a function array copy when what it always did was copy all but one? <laughs> the, the, the context here is that these are general functions that, are, that processing expects you to use in multiple situations, right? So that's the context here. Um, what's the other one that might fit? I get, I'd have to go with a subset, right? Because, in fact, we did get a subset. We got all but the last one. So, in fact, the answer I was expecting here was what? C, right? It, it just it, all it, it makes it one shorter, and that's exactly what it does. So given all those descriptions, if you look at that code and see that it makes, in fact, a copy of the original array that's always one shorter, it would seem to me when asked for a best choice here. Um, and Anyway, so I guess you guys didn't like that one. Uh, boy, if you didn't like that one, I think I'm going to skip the next one. Um, so I sort of put that up as what I thought was going to be a complete giveaway, right? And I see there's a little bit of subtlety, but I, I you know, think about it. Um, when asked for a best fit, because um, array copy actually will take one array and copy it into another array, and the or part of is because if the second array is, if the, if the array you're copying from is bigger than the array you're copying into, then it just truncates the stuff that didn't fit. Um, <clears throat> anyway, the hand was up. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so those those are good questions. We've seen a couple of these examples, and this was an excuse for me to put that up again. So what happens in this program, right, this is the data that comes in, and I make a new array to store the result. This is a common thing in Java. I make, because you can't make an array shorter. We already talked about that. That was one of those review questions you did. So I make a new array that's one element shorter than the original array. And then, as John pointed out, I copy the elements from the original array data into the new array, those that fit, that is all but that one that's there. And then return result says, that's the new array. The way I'm going to use this is in my program. Actually, I probably even have a piece of, let's get rid of that. I think I have a piece of code here that's using it. No, I didn't open it. I'm gonna, not going to take time. So um, in my program, I might have a couple of, I might have um, two arrays. So int, I'll call it A1 and A2. And let's suppose I've somehow given A1 some values then I might say A2 is assigned to be, and of course I wouldn't call it what, <laughs> I would say shorten A1. And what this does is let A2 refer to that new array that was created inside of there that is the same as A1 but one element shorter. So the answer is, so the technical answer, you said what does return result do? It returns a reference to that newly created array it's one shorter with the same elements as data for the first n minus one entries. So, process, so that's just a function I could write, right? This, well, you know, what here I call it, yeah, shorten, right? I could write, I could define a method called shorten that does what I have up there. And if I did, then I could write this line of code. Is, is, is that? Raise your hand if you follow that. This is really important, folks. This is we're back to fundamentals here. We're back to methods and returning values. So so tune in if this. Is, I want to know if this is not working. All right, we still have a little more time. Right. So I defined a method, and if I've defined a method, and I'm telling you how I use it with an array. This is like you know times two, returned twice its its argument. Right. Okay. You sure. All right. So it turns out. As some, that someone noticed, and I guess the textbook made reference to it, because I didn't even tend to think about it, that in fact, processing defines a whole bunch of useful functions for us that manipulate arrays in this way. They just do. They're just, but you could have written them yourself. There's nothing special about them, except somebody did the work for you, and you could use them. So there is an array, there is a method in processing already that if you want to copy an array, Let's let me do this. So well you know what here, let's do this. Sorry. Give me one second here. All right. So here's a program, and I created um, two arrays, D1 and D2. D1 has 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 in it. D2 has 10, 20, 30, right? And you could do stuff to these things. So um, here, and actually what I'm doing, I'm not going to use the next slide. I'm going to tell you now. So the next slide actually has the answer how to do splice, and I was going to ask you to do that one, but as much trouble we had with short, I'm not even going to try to go there. Um, I thought short would be an easy one. So I've put the X's on here because I wanted to use my version and not the version that processing had already defined. Um, but we could just use the processing version. So if I get rid of that X, this just calls processing's version. And then it runs the program and prints them out. So we could run this now. And we'll see down here at the bottom. If I can get my mouse on there. Why is that? Can I move that? Hmm. Well, all right. 
So we did, we'll see down here in the bottom what it what it's it's printed out the values of the array, um, and we see that D3 in this case has had D2 D2 spliced into the middle of D1 starting at position two. So actually, what we get is one two ten twenty thirty three four five. That's what splicing does. It sort of puts it in the middle. There's one for copying an array. There's one for shortening the array. There's one for extending an array just to save us from having to write that code in case you happen to have an array that you want to make bigger or shorter or you want to splice two together or append one onto the end of the other. They're just some helper functions that somebody wrote, like print line. Right? What's print line? You know, somebody wrote a function that we could call because we didn't want to have to figure out how to send one character at a time out to the console. Yeah. Or, or random. Or write any of these things. Yes. Yes. They work on any kind of an array. And there is a standard way to do that in Java, but we're not going to go there. Okay? So I would again leave it to you as an exercise to go and look at those other examples and see if you could in fact, can in fact do them. Right? So I've sort of given it away already, so I'm not going to do this one. This is actually the code to do splice. I'll walk through it very briefly. Right? The first loop is going to copy the first part before the, the join point. Right? So I'm going to take the first array. Everybody has to understand what I'm going to do. I've got two arrays. It's like here's one array, and, and there's the red array, and there's the green array. And I give it a point and I say, I want you to stick the green array into the red array at that point blue. And so I eventually then end up with the red array and then all the elements from the green array and then the rest of the elements from the red array. That's why it's sort of splicing, right? Like DNA splicing or something, right? So I'm going to splice these two arrays together. And so that first loop copies this first red segment into the result. So it takes the first part up to the blue point. The, that D1 index is sort of remembering how much you've copied. Then there's a loop that takes and copies the entire, notice this goes for the entire length of data 2, copies all the green stuff over into the result. And then a final loop, which I decided to just throw in a while loop, and now it's going to keep running until we've gotten to the end here, copying stuff from the red one down in. So it takes it in three steps, copy the first part, copy the middle part, copy the end, and again returning the result. So I'm not going to take too much more time with that right now, but there's nothing in here that we don't understand or we shouldn't understand, right? I mean, this is all stuff we've done in terms of loops and arrays, passing them in, and then, of course, that question about returning an array as a result. <clears throat> question, somebody want to try to ask a question about that? I'll, I'll certainly take one if somebody formulates it easily, but I don't want to belabor it too much. Maybe we have a couple of things we can look at here. Yeah, Michael. Excuse me? This is splice. Yes. Although it does involve some array copying. <laughs> um, and it makes it longer. <laughs> but I think splice is the right answer here. Okay. So, let's see. Um, we've got about little over 10 minutes left. So there's two things that I can do. Uh, what I have prepared here on the slides is just to revisit the starry sky code with a shooting star thrown in. Just to realize, show you, I've sort of put those two pieces together. Or I can, if someone has questions and wants to drive me there, I can talk a little bit more about the rocket class and the lunar lander starter, for those of you who looked at it, if you have questions that you want to share, there's been a little bit of discussion already on Piazza. I can go there, um, but only if you ask a question. If I don't hear those questions, then we'll look at this, um, this Starry Night class, which is really nothing new. Uh, it's just a very minor variation on the snake um, to create the shooting stars, this array of values that keep getting shifted every frame. Yeah, Michael. So 
the X in, in the rocket class, the only translation that's in my code happens down here when it gets ready to draw the rocket. And so between Bush matrix here and this pot matrix, there's a translate and some rotations. Anywhere else in the code, um, the X value of the rocket is just in untranslated coordinates. Because notice, I actually draw the triangle. Well, it's not quite at zero, zero, but uh, the line here, this line starts for the, for the rocket thrust, starts at zero, zero. So I have to translate in order to be able to use zero, zero here. But in terms of testing where the rocket is, that X value of the rocket is the right thing to test, right? So just <clears throat> if we go into this code, and after I've done all those updates right here, I can say if X greater than or X is greater than width, print line lost in space. And when I run this now, if I rotate and fire up the rock, oh, rotate quick. Ah, shoot, it's going to go at the top. Am I going to make it? All right, so when it goes off the side, you see now it's printing out lost in space because it figured out that it went off the edge. Actually, it wouldn't even matter if it went off the top because it'll still keep going. It's still there. What do you want to change? X tells me where the rocket is. Um, I, I, I can't answer that because I wouldn't... Uh, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's the same thing that Michael's talking about. That XY coordinate of the rocket are untranslated coordinates, right? So if I want to know, I don't want to write this whole program for you, but right, if I want to, if it's if I'm if it lands, right, I'm going to be sort of silly here and say it's going to land if uh, if X is uh, greater than width and three times. Come on, three times width divided by 4. So if I get 3 quarters of the way to the right and x is less than width, right? Call that my landing zone. Or you want to make it, you know, x is less than 7 times width divided by 8, right? So if it's between 3 quarters, if x is between there and there, let's call it landed, right? Right, probably want to do some test of the y value as well, but, right? Those are untranslated coordinates. Again, the translate is only used here to move. So as soon as I move just a little bit to the right, I'm not going to have to go much at all. It's going to go, boom, I think I've landed because it's right there. Go. Uh, what did I do wrong? That's weird. Oh, fine there. Oh, three, I had to get three quarters of the way over. Anyway, so it said it was landed. It's actually not landed anymore, but we're not, we can't tell that those printouts aren't happening. Right? right. Those are untranslated values. Other questions? Everybody's got this one all figured out? Any question about if statements? You know, I, I'm, I'm able to look at this, this star, this shooting star one. Yeah. Yeah? So what kind of error did you get? So, that, yeah, that's the, so several people did that, and I, I figured out how to recreate that. You've only loaded the rocket class. You need the lunar lander starter as well. Uh, Michael? So I haven't dug deep to figure out exactly what processing is getting confused about, but what I intend you to do is the main tab should have the lunar lander starter code in it, and the other tab should have the rocket in it. And if you do that, uh, you shouldn't get that mistake. But if you, I tried and I just put the rocket class in and ran it and I got the error that someone had posted on Piazza. You guys are just looking to see you can get out a couple minutes early today. I don't know.
That was that was too much hard work with those uh, arrays. I don't think I want to look at the shooting star. I'll leave that for you. Yeah, Michael. Yeah. So the fuel gauge. So so a lot of mistakes that students have made in the past with the fuel gauge. Common mistake a lot of students have made in the past with the fuel gauge. Save you a little bit of trouble here, right? is the fuel gauge, your fuel should be consumed whenever the rocket is burning, right? Whenever it's on. And at least the way I've designed the rocket, at least the way that, at least the way that I designed the rocket, some people would like to have it be that you have to have the key down and when you let the key off, then the rocket stops flaming. And if you want to change it to do that, that's okay. But the way I've designed it, the fuel is being consumed whenever the rocket is on. And you just need to pick some units and have some variable called fuel. And fuel gets every frame, fuel should get decremented by thrust appropriately multi, you know, modified so that either you make the fuel number big enough or you do some division or something so that those things, those are you know, appropriate units, right? I don't know what thrust per frame is, but you have to sort of mess around with the numbers. But that's all you're gonna do, right? You have this thing called fuel. Maybe you set it to 1,000. Let's suppose that a typical thrust number is, is 10. If I give it 1,000 units of fuel, and then every frame I just subtract thrust from fuel, it'll keep going by 10 unless I set the thrust to zero, in which case it doesn't go down. If I move the thrust up to 100, it'll subtract 100 units every frame. Right? Does that, make, does that answer your question? I'm willing to talk in English. If you can figure out how to translate it into code, that works for me. Anybody else want me to give you an answer to the rocket lunar lander example? Okay, <clears throat> well, that voice thing that started for me last Monday isn't actually quite gone yet, so I'm, you know, I'm going to make me use my last two minutes. Yeah. Is there any way that you can define two classes? Is there any way you can have one class with something that you're It's not a square, it's not a circle. It could be some sort of polygon with rough edges. Is there any way to define it so that those two classes collide? Yeah. Yeah, but it's not easy. So doing collision for arbitrary shaped objects is not easy. Obviously, the game folks have figured that out. I'm not really quite, I don't even have that at my fingertips, and I'd have to struggle to do it for something particularly complex. But things built out of polygons, there are algorithms for figuring out how to do um, those kind of intersections. So I'll, I'll give you, a, here's a little hint if somebody wants to play with it. Um, one sort of cute trick that, there's been several cute tricks that students have discovered. So um, if you have an irregular landscape that you want to draw, you can actually ask what color a pixel is in the background. I forgot what the function is for that, right? So you could ask what color is the X pixel at the XY coordinate of the rocket and based upon the color decide that it's, oh, it's, it's hit the ground. So there's a nice cool trick. There's, you know, think outside the box. There are lots of things that can be done. Um, so if, if, you're happen if that happened to be where you're going, that would work. Okay, well, I think I'll stop there. Um, yeah, see you on Wednesday.